Welcome to the Cybersecurity TLDR Show, where we save you time by providing you the too-long-didn't-read summary of cybersecurity topics and news. You can find us on YouTube with video and all the popular podcasting platforms for audio on the go. Now let's get over to your host, John Good. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Cybersecurity TLDR Show. This is the weekly recap for May 8th through May 14th of 2022. As you heard, I'm your host, John Good, and there will be no live stream for the after show after this uh, actual video, so just keep that in mind. But if you're joining me today, I want to thank you for watching and being able to enjoy the news with me. And without any further delay, let's go ahead and let's get into it. So. The first news article of the top news section, Google Play now blocks paid app downloads updates in Russia. So Google is now blocking Russian users and developers from downloading or updating paid applications from the Google Play Store starting Thursday due to sanctions. So, And that was this past Thursday. Uh, Russian developers can still publish and update apps for free or free apps with uh, users still allowed to download them from the store. However, all updates to paid apps will automatically be blocked for compliance reasons, according to the new changes. So this is an interesting strategy, right? You are forcing people to continue to have vulnerable apps. And again, you know, we're seeing a lot of news still with the Russia-Ukraine invasion and uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine and this is an interesting strategy right if you have a lot of users that have android devices or a certain type of device in that country and you're trying to take a stand or you know really force their hand you're going to keep people without a lot of these um, income producing applications and you're going to make them still vulnerable so if there's some kind of vulnerability in the code or whatever that could be exploited you know it's it's just another another issue right uh, next article, NIST published updated guidance for supply chain risks. So NIST has published the cybersecurity supply chain risk management practices for systems and organizations in response to Executive Order 14023, Improving the Nation's Cybersecurity. And the purpose of this publication is to provide guidance to enterprises on how to identify, assess, select, and implement risk management processes and mitigating controls across the enterprise to help manage cybersecurity risk throughout the supply chain. And uh, it says, managing the cybersecurity of supply chain is a need that's here to stay, wrote Nis John Boyens, one of the publication's authors. If your agency or organization hasn't started on it, this is a comprehensive tool that can take you from a crawl to walk to run, and it can help you do it immediately. So supply chain risk is something that, you know, over the years has just become dramatically more important because you get other materials or products or code from other vendors and you use it in whatever you do. Now, the important thing is that we've seen with other issues, you have software like um, code modules, or anything like that, right, that you're gonna ingest into what you're doing, we've seen there be vulnerabilities pop up or those developers take stances and do certain things in their code. And how does that affect your organization, right? What are you doing as far as your due diligence 
on that code, on that product, on that material to make sure that your vendor or your third party is secure and they're following secure practices. Well, that's why they have this, right? That's going to help you identify risks or at least be aware of the risks that exist with that vendor. And there's a lot of companies, especially smaller companies, that don't necessarily do a great job of vetting their vendors or their supply chain risks. And when you start looking at the super large companies, you know, you know the mega companies, they obviously do a pretty decent job of this because they're looking at this kind of stuff. They have people that are specifically focused on these supply chain risks. And this is a way to help the smaller companies, right? Small companies need help. They don't have the budget or the headcount to devote to some of this stuff. And when you can make it easier for them to, you know, kind of take small steps and improve their posture, it's a win for everybody because small companies make products and things like that that everybody uses. So this is really important. Now, the U.S. State Department is offering a $10 million reward for information about Conti members. An additional $5 million reward is also being offered for any information that leads to the arrest or conviction of a Conti member. Now, the FBI estimates that Jan- uh, as of January 2022, there's been over 1,000 victims of attacks associated with Conti ransomware, with victim payouts exceeding $150 million, making the Conti ransomware variant the costliest strain of ransomware ever documented, Price said. Now, if you don't know what ransomware is, essentially what happens is your computer gets infected and then everything starts to be encrypted and you basically lose the access to be able to do anything on your computer unless you pay a ransomware. So it's part of, um, you know, it's a ransomware malware strain, right? And Conti is... Like it said, one of the costliest strains of ransomware ever documented. And ransomware is actually relatively new considering, you know, technology. Maybe the last five, maybe 10 years, but really the last five years, we've seen a huge uptick in the attacks for this. And Conti's been in the news a lot lately, right? We've had people leaking source code and doing all kinds of stuff counter to Conti. But you know, this is the U.S. State Department really taking a stance. And make no mistake, right, these people will be found that are doing it. Uh, it happens all the time, right? There's similar kinds of situations where maybe not a massive bounty is, a, uh, is you know, put out there. But, you know, the, these kinds of attackers are generally found out, at least who they are, if they're in countries like... Um, Russia or China or somewhere where they're not willing to give them to the State Department for prosecution. Um, you know, regardless of that, they're still usually found out who they are. Um, but this is a pretty substantial award. Uh, 10 million? 10 million sounds pretty lucrative, right? If you know, know some information and then an extra 5 million, if you can lead to their arrest, right there, you know, you get 15 million, you're set for life. You don't have to go work anymore. So uh, definitely pretty interesting, definitely beneficial for the State Department and the U.S. and companies alike. Then we also had Costa Rica declares national emergency after Conti ransomware attacks, right? So again, you know, very, uh, very big issue. Conti published most of the 672 gigabyte dump that appears to contain data belonging to the Costa Rican government agencies. Conti's data lake has been updated 
to state that the group had leaked 97% of the 672 gigabyte data dump allegedly containing information stolen from government agencies. That's a ton of data. 672 gigs of data is so much, right? The public body that first suffered the damage from Conti's cyber attack is the Ministry of Finance, which has still not yet fully evaluated the scope of the security incident or to what extent that uh, taxpayers' information payments and customs systems have been impacted. So they don't even really know the extent of what's going on, or at least they're not stating it, right? And uh, and then obviously we just had that article about the ransomware, and uh, Conti earlier demanded a $10 million ransom from the ministry, which the government declined to pay. So basically the government declined to pay, and Conti went crazy and started dumping all this data out there, right? And so... You know, it's always interesting the motive of some of these attacker groups because it's like, okay, well, you're you're charging a ransom, right? Pretty substantial ransom, ten million dollars, and then you don't get it, and then so you dump the data, right? So, who is benefiting from it, right? Ideally, you know, with these attacker groups, they're trying to get sensitive information where you want to pay, so that's one side of it. But then, you know, once the data gets leaked. You know, ha- has that group got anything, right? Have they have they benefited in any way? Or is it just like, you know, you call their bluff, so we went ahead and we leaked it, and now nobody wins, right? So it's, you know, it's an interesting kind of discussion, but we are starting to see a lot more organizations that are not willing to pay, right? And so that's just, um, you know, that's another piece of evidence that, um, you know, I guess we'll kind of see how it plays out as far as how they react since a lot of their data is already out there. I mean, you know, at this point, you just have to know what you have had leaked. And it's interesting that it's uh, says 97%. So what's the last 3% of that data, right? Uh, Carmel, uh, Caramel, credit card stealing service is growing in popularity. So they're doing this as a skimmer as a service. So it's a service that somebody could you know, pay for and get. Uh, credit card skimmers are malicious scripts that are injected into hacked e-commerce websites that quietly wait for customers to make a purchase on the site. Once a purchase is made, these malicious scripts steal the credit card details and send them back to remote servers to be collected by threat actors. Threat actors then use these cards to make their own online purchases or sell credit card details on the dark web marketplaces to other threat actors uh, for as little as few, a few dollars. Now, the platform is operated by a Russian cybercrime group organization named Carmel uh, Group or Caramel Group. It's that whole Carmel Caramel discussion, debate. Uh, this service supplies subscribers with a skimmer script, deployment instructions, and a campaign management panel, which is everything that a threat actor needs to launch their campaign, right? The service only sells to Russian-speaking threat actors using an initial process to vet people that excludes those using machine language, uh, machine translation, or that are inexperienced in this field. How much does it cost? Well, it costs $2,000 for a lifetime subscription which for threat actors isn't necessarily cheap, 
but it does give Russian-speaking hackers uh, full customs, customer support, code upgrades, and evolving anti-detection measures. So typically with a lot of these malware kind of services and things like that, these um, you know malicious kinds of things, they are looking for very inexpensive options because you don't know what you're going to get, right? Like you don't know the product you're going to get. You don't know the result that you're going to get, right? We go back to the ransomware with the Conti situation and the you know ministry uh, division of Co- the Costa Rican government declined to pay. They just didn't play, pay at all, right? So if you spend $2,000 and you're out completely, you know, that kind of is, you know, unfortunate in a general sense, right? You spent money for something that you didn't get a return on. But, um, you know, it, it's interesting that this group is charging a decent amount compared to other malicious things because, you know, are, are these prices going up, right? Uh, are, are these groups that are selling these services, are they going to start charging more? So that could definitely impact that, uh, that dark web presence and the, this underground system of malicious people, right? So something to keep in mind. Uh, Microsoft hopes to pull uh, to plug the security talent gap with three new services. So they're releasing three new services. They have Microsoft Defender Experts for XDR, which is uh, the first managed version of Microsoft 365 Defender. They have Microsoft Security Services for Enterprises, which is targeted at companies that are seeking a consulting engagement around the security issues that they're facing. And then Microsoft Defender Experts for Hunting, providing hunting for threats in a customer's Microsoft Defender data. So it's all kind of tied together with uh, Microsoft Defender, right? And, you know, this is one issue that's going to continue to plague us in the security industry, the security field, companies that are looking to get more secure, that... You know, we don't have enough people that are trained or prepared to defend organizations, right? And that comes down to a lot of the, you know, training pipelines that exist out there, right? There's not a lot for security. It's a lot of, you know, what I see is a lot of certifications and things like that that train on various things, but there's no real pipeline, right? Like, it's not like, okay, learn this, 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 and this. And, you know, like myself, I mean, I I definitely put out things to help people to train in a way that will get them prepared. But, you know, a lot of companies in general too, they're not prepared to bring people along. They want people that that are going to come in and kind of know what's up and know what to do. And Microsoft is obviously trying to capitalize on this, right? They're trying to release services that are going to help companies, especially in the short term, because these services are going to be, you know, kind of like a managed security service provider where it's a service that they're providing and that you don't have to have necessarily an expert on staff to use. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see what's going to happen in the future. If more of these services are going to come out, I'm sure there will be more, you know, by other companies. But, the security talent gap is a real issue. And, you know, if you're out there and you're creating training or you're looking at ways to to help, you know, help people out, try to figure out a way to bring people along. 
in the in the security industry, right? In cybersecurity. How do we take people that have no experience and that have no, you know, IT background? How do we take those people and get them to a level that is sufficient to defend these organizations at a professional level, right? It's not like um, we don't have a security help desk, right? So there's not that kind of entry level uh, position. We have the entry level positions that really, you know, require a certain level of knowledge and skill just to be effective at. And so I think that whole pipeline, that whole development area, you know, that it's going to be interesting to watch that over the next several years, how we develop that and start to get people that are spun up a lot quicker. So keep uh, keep that on your radar. Now, a U.S. college is shutting down for good following a ransomware attack. Lincoln College says that it will close this week in the week of a, uh, in the wake of a ransomware attack that took months to resolve. While the impact of COVID-19 severely impacted activities such as recruitment and fundraising, and I think that's with a lot of you know organizations, but especially colleges, because you know you're not going to have basically colleges didn't have a lot of people on site for a while, right? There was a lot of online learning that they weren't necessarily prepared for, but not uh, you didn't need those on-site activities for those periods, right? Uh, the cyber attack seems to have been the tipping point for the Illinois institution. Lincoln says it had record-breaking student enrollment in fall 2019, which I'm sure was a majority of uh, on-site, uh, on-campus learning, if not entirely, you know, especially since, since it's a smaller institution. But uh, however, the pandemic caused a sizable uh, fall in enrollment with some students opting to defer college or take a leave of absence. The college, one of only a few rural schools to qualify as a predominantly black institution under the Department of Education, said those affected its final uh, financial standing. Lincoln has been around for 157 years. So that's, you know, a good example of how something like this pandemic and things like that can really affect college institutions. But you then throw in the ransomware attacks where they're not appropriately uh, staffed to protect against something like this, especially in an organization like a learning institution, a university where it's really focused on distribution of information, you know, sharing information and learning. And they just weren't able to handle it, right? Now, I also think about the larger learning institutions, you know, which are going to be more sophisticated. They're going to have more tools and things like that. But, you know, universities and kind of small businesses in general are not prepared for it, right? They're if they get hit by a ransomware attack, especially the ones that are, you know, trying to extort these companies for a lot of money, it's it's not going to be good, right? Like some of these companies are going to suffer bad consequences because of it. And, you know, this is an unfortunate thing because obviously this is just a, you know, university, a learning institution. It's not, you know, it's not really some company that took some aggressive stance on some political issue or something like that. You know, um, I'm not super familiar with them, but you know, most likely it's, you know, it's about learning. It's not 
about taking those extreme uh, stances like a company, right? Because those are a lot of times what we see. Those companies, they take extreme stances and then they start getting hit with attacks. So uh, Tech Trade Group comes out against Indian cybersecurity law over reporting mandate. So if you're not familiar, the uh, country of India, they came out with a reporting requirement for incidents. Uh, if I recall correctly from last week, it was uh, six hours, I believe, was the, the requirement for incidents. That's crazy, right? Uh, oh, yeah, and it, it even says it in here. Um, so a technology trade group that represents Apple, Google, Microsoft, and other tech giants has come out against a new directive from the Indian government mandating companies reporting cybersecurity incidents to the CERT in India within six hours of an incident. Uh, check out the article if you want to see more of the the requirements as far as like what types of incidents and things like that are required. But, you know, of course they're getting pushback. Six hours is crazy on some of this stuff, especially if you're not prepared for it. And, you know, this kind of legislation goes again, uh, is requirement for smaller companies, right? If you don't have a full-time staff and you have to report within six hours, it's like there's going to be a lot of lapses on that requirement for sure. So uh, definitely check that out. I don't see something like that, uh, especially something like that that's unreasonable in most circles coming out in a country like the United States or, you know, so, some of the... Um, some of the, the, the um, just the, the major, you know, extreme large companies that are uh, leading the way as far as technology. But, um, you know, I think India is learning that firsthand that six hours, that ain't going to happen, right? It's just not. Uh, Russian TV hacked on Victory Day military parade. So I don't know if you saw this, but there was a... Um, so a Russian military parade, right, where they were um, they were celebrating the annual Victory Day, uh, annual Victory Day military parade, it's called. And uh, this happened in a lot of places. Like there, so Russia has these state-sponsored TV television networks, right? And I saw another video where uh, I don't know if it was like kind of like a a direct TV or like a cable TV. You know, it was a the video of the screen where it shows all the the shows that are going on in the channels and it had all been changed uh saying as containing uh saying no to war was removed and then it also had a message that said the blood of a thousand uh thousands of ukrainians and hundreds of their children in uh on your hands was posted so you know, again, we, we're we seeing a lot of activity against Russia and Ukraine, but it's interesting, right? Um, we're seeing a lot of it in the cyber world or the tech world. And even though we see a lot of the stuff, right, like on TV with the, the physical weapons, the destruction, which is obviously really, really bad and unfortunate, um, but we're also seeing a lot of uptick in these kind of back channel kind of things, right? And... It's, um, you know, it's something that didn't exist, you know, 20, 30 years ago. We wouldn't see this in the, uh, in a lot of these tech-based things. But, you know, it, it's definitely an interesting thing to see happening. Uh, let's see here. 
So this is interesting. China to discard 50 million computers because of software security concerns from U.S. tech war. So as per the sources reporting to Cybersecurity Insiders, Beijing has issued a public notice of all of its governing bodies bodies to upgrade their hardware and software within the coming two years. So this is where it gets interesting, right? As per the plan, all Microsoft-owned Windows operating systems will be discarded, okay? And a home-developed new software operating system will be loaded onto current PCs. Huh. Homegrown operating system. That, that, um, huh. Homegrown operating system. Now, I want you to think about this for a second, right? Windows, which, you know, historically is relatively secure, stable. You know, obviously there's issues, right? But, um, you know, a pretty robust operating system, it works, right? It, it does what it's supposed to do. It's, you know, it's secure, right? Or at least most countries and organizations and things like that believe that it's, it's you know, good enough to keep using, right? They're going to have to load a homegrown operating system, right? A homegrown operating system. Uh, yeah, that, that's got some massive spyware in it for sure. Like that, that is, you know, a country like China has been notorious for censorship and, you know, really just kind of um, filtering what people can see, right? Especially within the country. And then they're going to make people install a homegrown operating system. Yeah, that, that's got some massive spyware at minimum inside of it. So that's unfortunate, you know, for people that live in, uh, in China that are, you know, that want to see Western information and just the openness of the internet and things like that. That's just another step towards um, locking down what people can see within the country. And uh, I don't know how that's going to play out. But 50 million computers, that, that's unfortunate. That, I think that's going to have a lot of issues internally for them in, in China. And um, you, know, you, don't, you don't like to see people, especially because we're very in favor of the Internet and a lot of this open information. And you have countries like this that are going to you know, take a step further to restrict what people can see. That, that's unfortunate. It's, I don't like to see that. Uh, let's see here. Now, ransomware trends in 2022. So here are the three top trends that were saw for ransomware in 2022 so far, right? So we are in May, early, mid-May. Uh, but trend number one. Threat actors are trying to develop cross-platform ransomware to be adaptive as possible, as adaptive as possible. That makes sense, right? If you're going to develop ransomware or any software, you want to have it on as many platforms as possible. Especially with ransomware, you know, you got to make you got to make software that's going to attack all the computers, right? You just can't you just can't go over after Windows. You got to go after all of them. Trend number two: ransomware ecosystem is evolving and becoming more industrialized. 
attackers want to improve and make their tools better, right? That that makes sense. Yeah, that's pretty standard. Uh, sounds like a lot of these are turning into full fledged organizations, right? Uh, trend number three: ransomware gangs take sides in geopolitical conflicts. They're taking sides in uh, events like the Russia-Ukraine conflict, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Uh, and we've seen that. You know, we've seen that with a lot of these uh, ransomware gangs. People releasing source code, people taking their, their software modules and modifying them. So, um, yeah, that I don't think any of these trends are going to stop. And these are just showing that these groups are becoming more sophisticated. They are, you know, becoming more, um, uh, they're, they're able to plan and kind of, you know, really, um, instead of being like uh, very separated groups where they have a lot of different plans and things that they're trying to accomplish, they're really, you know, able to come together and actually get things done. You know, it's ransomware, so obviously that's bad. But um, that shows a certain level of increased sophistication. And uh, if we're looking at that, the maturity cycle, right? Like how, how mature is your organization? We're starting to see them kind of get towards that a uh, little bit more mature level, right? So that's, that's definitely you know, something to watch out for. A uh, Texas man gets five years for stealing 38,000 PayPal account credentials. Texas man whom federal prosecutors say bought 38,000 compromised PayPal accounts uh, from an online illegal online marketplace, used them to uh, and used them to steal from the true account owners, was sentenced to five years in prison. Uh, Marcos Ponce, 37 of Austin, was also ordered to pay 1.4 million in restitution, and uh, he he pleaded guilty to conspiracy to commit wire fraud crimes in October 2021. Uh, shows a lot of the activity was between 20, uh, November 2015, November 2018. Uh, and his co-conspirators established buyer accounts on an illegal marketplace which stole, uh, sold stolen PayPal uh, payment accounts, credentials, along with complimentary personal identification information. Uh, let's see here. What else do we have? So another article that's pretty interesting was uh, NVIDIA's LHR limiter has been bypassed, enabling full mining performance. So over a year ago, NVIDIA launched a light hash rate LHR versions of, of most of its RTX 3000 lineups. So there are graphics cards and uh, which designed to significantly reduce the mining performance for Ethereum and other GPU mineable uh, cryptocurrencies. Since then, miners have been trying to bypass this restriction. And there was one not too long ago that uh, actually ended up being malware. And today, the developers of NiceHash, they released an announcement that they were able to bypass NVIDIA's limiter and unlock the full mining performance of LHR cards. So we might see an uptick again of crypto mining and uh, might be harder to get graphics cards again. So especially the high-end ones. Uh, the other major issue that I really want to touch on is the uh, whole F5 big IP issue. 
So here's kind of how it, uh, you know, sprung up, right? So F5 warns big IP customers about 18 serious vulnerabilities. So security and application delivery solution provider F5 on Wednesday released another quarterly notification that informed customers of 50, more than 50 vulnerabilities and security exposures. So it's tracked as CVE 2022-1388. can be exploited by unauthenticated attacker and network access to a big five IP system, which is one of their systems. And the attacker can execute arbitrary system commands, create and delete files or disable services. The issue affects the control the iControl REST component and it's been described as a control plane issue. Okay, so this is going to be a big issue going forward until, you know, everybody gets updated and all these things are resolved. Uh, threat actors are actively exploiting this in F5 devices. Now, CISA, which usually doesn't get involved unless it's something major, right, uh, urges organizations to patch actively exploited F5 big IP vulnerability. Patch your devices. This is a major issue. This has been going on for a little bit now, not you know a super long time, but it's it's pretty recent. So if you have one of these devices, you better be patching because you know you're going to have some big issues if you don't. They're going to be able to execute commands, delete files, create files, disable your services. Not good. The other major thing that I want to hit on real quick here is that Microsoft may up uh, May's window updates cause an AD authentication failure. So there's some issues that are around some updates that came from May 2022 Patch Tuesday. Shocker, I know. There's issues that came from Patch Tuesday. Uh, but basically what's happening is you're getting an error that says authentication failed due to a user credentials mismatch. Either the username provided does not map to an existing account or the password was incorrect. Now, Microsoft says that um, this is only triggered after installing the updates on servers used as domain controllers. The updates will not negatively impact when deployed on Windows client systems and non-domain controller Windows servers. So think about this, right? Domain controllers. If you're not familiar with Active Directory and how domain controllers work, domain controllers, basically what happens is when you network all your systems together, so your Windows computers, you create this domain, right? It's basically your network, right? And these domain controllers, they control all of that, okay? The accounts and all these services, right? The policies and all this stuff. So if there are big time issues on your domain controllers, you've got a serious issue. That's, you know, one of the most critical servers from the infrastructure point of view that you can have in a Windows network. Obviously with Microsoft, you know, they're gonna, they're gonna fix this and do all the things that they need to do. And this is gonna be a, you know, a quick thing that they're gonna, you know, that they're working on, right? Because anything that affects the domain controllers is a serious issue. That's what I want to really, really stress in your mind. You know, if you are, um, if you've been around for a while, if you are involved with the infrastructure in any way, if you are new to cybersecurity or the tech industry in general, anytime your domain controllers are impacted, 
it's a serious issue. So keep that in mind. You know, it, it's not something that you can ignore. And, um, you know, even in the future, if you have issues with your domain controllers, you have to get them fixed. But you also have to test patches, right? This is a good reason why you roll up patches out in phases, right? Even though they're released, you don't want to just blanket apply all patches. Bad things can happen. And if you don't, you know, roll them out in phases, test them, make sure they're okay, and then continue to roll out, um, you'll end up with crashing your network and some way, way bigger issues. But um, that was just one thing that I really wanted to stress because, you know, it's really important that you protect your critical infrastructure. So that's it for now. I want to thank you for joining me and I will see you in the next episode.